I do want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, and you can pronounce it however you want. I mean, there's a shorthand version. You can call him Habby if you want, if that's better for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to have uh, biblical books, especially since they're a challenge even to pronounce. Uh, and there are many of those, and Habakkuk, I think, is on my short list of difficult books to pronounce and prophets uh, who bear that name. Universal human needs. It's kind of strange, I know, to begin a conversation tonight in the book of Habakkuk, but we kind of need to lay some groundwork, and that is, what are universal human needs? What do you need to survive to feel connected in this world or to even make it to the next day? Building some input. What is it? What do you need? Food. We need food. Water, air, what do, sorry? Shelter. Shelter. I'm sorry? Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> the truth comes out. It only took about five shots at it, but you know, Netflix is a given. You must have it. I'm sorry? Clothing. Anything else? Sorry? Did you say cruises? <laughs> cruises would be nice too. I'm sorry? The truth. Jesus said the truth would set you free, didn't he? Need it. Somebody else? Hope? Faith, hope, and love. Someone in the back? Thank you. Someone else? Sleep. <laughs> Hopefully not right now, correct? <laughs> Uh, it could happen. Companionship. Companionship. You know, the list just continues to grow, doesn't it? What if I was to say something kind of odd? How would you feel about that? What about the odd need to complain? It really didn't make my short list. I never thought about it that way. But one of the things that we find as a recycled theme all through Scripture is complaining. And it's even complaining of the people of God, about the people of God. And sometimes it even goes deeper than that. Uh, I suggest this because I think we have a lot of things that we complain about. Uh, in all likelihood, over the past few days, you've complained a little bit about political positions, politicians, in all likelihood, government programs, or at least the functioning of said programs. Because that's easy. It's a dime a dozen, right? I mean, you have them everywhere and you have your own gripes, you have your own situations that you're concerned about. Perhaps it's trouble with your neighbors. Maybe it's that pesky stalled car that they just won't move. Or maybe it's those dogs that just bark all night long and it's just uh, getting you down. What about church? What about church members? What about church leaders? What about church programs? Do you have a beef with an elder, with a minister, with a deacon, or, or some others? So let's really rattle the cage a little bit tonight. What about a complaint to God about how God runs the world? You ever done that? 
Is there space for that in the kingdom of God? I suggest to you tonight, there is. In fact, we find it multiple times on the pages of Scripture, and it lands right tonight in Choctaw for me in the book of Habakkuk. And so as I invited you to open uh, to the book of Habakkuk, let's kind of look at the opening of the book. Now I want to invite you to open your own Bible, whether that's an app on your phone or a typical text Bible. You probably won't be able to read these words necessarily depending on where you are, but there's always something about the familiarity of using your own text that helps to really bring it more to life and breed familiarity itself. Because the story of Habakkuk ends rather abruptly. Uh, The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, justice never prevails, the wicked hem the righteous in so that justice is perverted. How many of you ever began a prayer that way? (laughs) A conversation with God like that? That's an odd beginning. I mean, it's really strange in my book to begin a conversation with God as a gripe session. I've got complaints, God. I've got unresolved tension in my life and the way the world is going, the way the community of faith is going, the way government's being run. Nothing is square and I'd like to know what you're doing about it. Um, I, I think we do this a lot because it is really deep at the core of a human need because we feel the need to complain about the way things are in the world, whether it's government, whether it's government officials. But I I do want you to consider Habakkuk's context. Uh, In Habakkuk's context, he lived during an era of great unsettling. Uh, The northern kingdom had been defeated, and the southern kingdom was rapidly on its course to be defeated. And so we're talking somewhere around the time frame of about 625 or so B.C. Uh, We know that the destruction of Jerusalem is going to happen in about the year 587, so that has not occurred quite yet, but it's on the horizon. And so I'm sure Habakkuk has all kinds of ideas about how God is going to resolve the dilemma of his day, but uh, whenever he describes in the text what he is seeing, he is seeing atrocities at a large scale. And he even describes this in very vivid detail. He says, God, why are you making me see this? That kind of sounds like a teenager, doesn't it? That's the way teenagers, that's the way adolescents talk, or maybe toddlers. Why are you making me do this? As if somehow you can't avert your eyes and you're forced to observe something that is really ruining your world. And so the way Habakkuk writes about this is quite striking. He lived during the era of a theocracy. A theocracy is when God rules. God's supposed to rule. Well, it doesn't seem to Habakkuk that God's ruling very well. In fact, I would submit to you that what uh, he is doing is complaining about the way God rules. 
that apparently God's not getting the job done. Apparently there are a lot of things that are happening around him that just don't make any sense. And you can submit all kinds of things that fit under this genre. Uh, You know, this week we had a 51-year-old vibrant man of the congregation where I recently beginning to serve uh, that made an impact with a lot of people, passed away from cancer. And the question that some people are asking, what's going to happen to his kids? Luckily, on this occasion, uh, his kids are older, but many pass who have younger kids. And I've known many of those cases. And just Sunday, we had to announce that one of our church members lost a granddaughter, tender age of three years old, to cancer. Some things just don't make any sense. Forrest Gump is right after all. Some things just don't make sense. And in those times, we approach God much like Habakkuk did. And we say, God, I'd like to know where you are because I can't find you. It's much like Job. Job, in his book, cries out, where is God? And he says, I'd like to know your address because I don't know it. I don't know if you're... East, west, north, or south, but you can be sure that if I did, I'd go knocking on your door because I'm not getting justice. Uh, It's a universal feeling of being betrayed or let down or disappointed with God and the one who is supposed to run the world, the one who's supposed to have this, the one who is supposed to be in control. Surely this God would make things square, who who would make straight the crooked paths of the world. So do you ever complain about church? About church leaders? About ministers? About elders? The joy of speaking um, and being a guest speaker is that I really don't know your story and I can authentically say that. The elders didn't bring me in as a ringer to tell you something you don't want to hear. I have no idea what your problems are. I have no clue as to what your struggles might be or what your conflicts might, might be. But I've been to a lot of churches, and every church I've ever been to have many of them. And so it's a joy, not that I get to do drive-by preaching, and you know what that is, right? <laughs> drive-by preaching where you just kind of lay it out there, and then you leave. You skedaddle. And you say, now y'all clean up the mess. Well, I don't want to do that. But what I do want to do is help coach you through a book that I think is valuable in your Christian walk and how you relate to other people, and how you relate to church leaders, and how you relate to God's world, and God in particular. Because sometimes what we do is we just try to suppress complaining. We just say, don't complain. And that just makes me want to complain more. How about you? I mean, I've got a lot of things to gripe and complain about as well. And if someone tells me don't do it, then I'm surely going to feel like I should do it more. But what if someone said, learn how to complain better? Learn how to complain well. That's what I'm submitting to you that I think is our calling uh, after all. Um, Oh, I think I went backwards here. Because I would say for certain, you complain. And Habakkuk models for us how to complain responsibly rather than recklessly. I'd like to do the box in the red. Complaints will be heard on the second Tuesday of next week. I'd really like to put that out there because that's generally the way we feel about complaints. We feel about criticisms. 
we think it really bogs us down and it prevents us from getting about the work that's important. And yet, if we don't learn how to process complaints well, I don't believe we're doing the Lord's work very well. Because in all likelihood, the Spirit of God is in the people of God, and if the Spirit of God is in the people of God, then somehow we have to process together what the salvation of the church is, which is, I would submit to you, what Paul means in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 when he says, work out your salvation. The you're there is plural. In other words, it's the church at Philippi that's in trouble. And Paul says, Clement, I I want all hands on deck. I I want us to work this out. And it's a beautiful thing when we work it out in humility to Christ. So, I would suggest to you that it's not something that uh, we can leave behind. Typically, when I get on my soapbox, though, I just kind of lose it. How about you? I mean, I get on a soapbox, and it's over. I can't think straight. I just start spewing things out. And somebody usually has to come along and say, let's kind of try to package these in a way that we can... Uh, do something about them. Now here's the thing that I like about Habakkuk. So as we move along in the book of Habakkuk, what we find is that Habakkuk is so specific and so concise with his complaint, God answers. Wow. A God that answers your complaint. You know, we typically will cross our hands and, no, I'm, I'm not going to listen to your complaint. You take it up with a complaint department, and that's in file 11. <laughs> you know, we just don't handle it. But God answers. Look at the nations, he says, and watch. Uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings Not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. And for the next four verses, God continues to say how bad the Chaldeans are. So let me get this straight. I have a complaint, and your solution to it is to let the bullies of the world win. That's your solution. You're right, God, I don't believe you. And I can almost hear God in the background saying, told you so. Told you you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. I am doing something about it, but you wouldn't approve, so I haven't told you. But I'm telling you now so that we can kind of work through the dealings of your heart and where it is that you're struggling and how we can overcome. Because Habakkuk is indeed astounded. You know, it's much like uh, some of the treatments that we receive with the diseases that we are diagnosed with. The treatment becomes worse than the disease itself. And Habakkuk here, I think, is crying foul and he's saying the treatment is worse than the disease itself. This doesn't make any sense. And there is no 
connection on God's scale of things with the diseases that we get. I hope that I make myself clear on that. Please never infer whenever you go through a struggle with some kind of disease, whether it's cancer or anything else, that somehow God gave that to you. Now, we're talking about the large scale of things, nationalism. We're talking about uh, the things that relate to nations, which is also the way I would suggest that you read Romans chapter 11. Uh, that's the way Romans 11 comes to us. It's about, it's about national selections and how God is working in the midst of nations to bring about a will. Not necessarily that He's given each individual some kind of struggle to work through or that He's choosing to save somebody over somebody else, uh, but rather He's setting up an opportunity in a nation for a response. It's Chaldeans that Abraham was a part of in Ur. Well-reputed place. Technologically advanced of his time. Place many people wanted to live. But it's also among the groups that came and looted Job. If you remember in Job chapter 1. They swept in through raids and stole his camels. The Chaldeans were a dreaded group of people. They were dreaded for how they came into places. And as you read Habakkuk chapter 1, it's almost as if God applauds them for that. God says, I want you to look at the big picture. And I want you to trust me. I want you to see that I am doing things that are on a scale that... You wouldn't approve of, but you also don't understand. But to Habakkuk, God is being unresponsive. To Habakkuk, God is not acting according to the best interest of the people. And so it's this cruel dynasty, the national bullies of the day, who are going to win. Are you troubled by things like that? It troubles me greatly. To even hear this reflected in a book that was thousands of years ago, and knowing that some of these things even persist today is hard to, is hard to fathom. And so keeping up with the Chaldeans, good luck. It's not going to happen because they're going to beat you down. And the Chaldeans are basically the carryovers of the Babylonians, and so the Babylonians, Chaldeans, are a very similar group of people, so their root is in Babylon and they love power, and they love brutality, and they are exceptionally cruel. And of all things, God says He's letting them come in and run the show. So Habakkuk gives a reply. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 14, uh, he says, You have made people like the fish of the sea, like sea creatures who have no ruler. Now, when you read the Bible, you have to pay close attention sometimes. Habakkuk is not giving an affirmation or a compliment here. He's not saying, Oh, you're so wonderful. He's not saying that yet. He's saying, God, you know, the things of the world that are, uh, are awry, the things of the world that aren't going so well, it's your fault, and even the Chaldeans might be your fault. You know, if you'd learn how to... If you would just practice discipline with your people and with the world, maybe these things would get sorted out. But as it is, you know, we're like fish of the sea. And it's just eat or be eaten. And it's like we have no ruler. 
we have no justice. It's just one guy after another. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And God, let me answer you and say, I don't, I'm more troubled by your answer than I am by my original complaint. Uh, he continues on from that point for several verses. Uh, and then in chapter 2, he kind of brings it home a little closer. And he says, I will stand at my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I mean, he kind of models something for us here, and that is understand that whenever you complain, you're going to get pushback, as we call it in the academic world. You're going to get pushback. In other words, don't think we're just going to roll over and play dead, just stick our, stick our hands and feet up in the air as if, oh, you're right, we're wrong, we're so... Well, expect some pushback. I love Habakkuk here because he's expecting pushback from God. He's expecting that he's not seeing the big picture somewhere and that somehow God is going to correct him. And so he, do you hear the way he talks? I'm going to station myself at the watch post, at the ramparts. I mean, where all the business goes wrong. I'm going to station myself there and I'm going to protest. I'm going to pick it until God answers me again. I'm serious. Very troubled by this. Um, I love Habakkuk. I love him for his boldness because I think we need a whole lot more of that today. I need a whole lot of more of that in my life. When I look at the struggles of my life, oftentimes it's because I practice cowardice. I just back down. I didn't, I didn't try to find some kind of resolution to a problem, but rather I just let things slide the way that they were. In chapter 2, uh, verse 4, God, of course, answers again. God does answer. And he says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Let me be crystal clear, I think God is saying to Habakkuk. You understand me and you understand the world in a basic way. The Chaldeans are not upright. I do not favor them because somehow they are better. In fact, the truth is they are worse. Their desires are filled with arrogance and they are not upright. But, and I know you've heard this a million times in all likelihood, righteous will live by faith. I'd rather not, to be honest with you. I'd rather to live by sight. How about you? I'd rather my faith in God pay off in this world. And in the next world. I mean, let's just be honest. I'd, I'd like it to pay off in both places. And I really want to see some evidence of the investments that I'm making here and now. I really want to see God bringing about some kind of fruit to all the labor that I'm consenting to. And God says, the righteous live by faith. The righteous come to learn. You don't always get what you want. There is no such thing as instant gratification brings about maturity with me. Maturity is born through adversity, through struggle, through hardships. Which is really kind of interesting because um, this storyline is played out multiple times through the Bible as if somehow we really need it, that I really need it. Whenever the chips are down, I kind of want to throw in the towel. I kind of just want to throw... 
throw up the white flag and say, I'm done. And yet that's never been the way the people of God are called to live. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. This is an expectation. So imagine what this means then in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's the same storyline. And then what the Hebrew writer does is continue to give us example after example, story after story, character after character. It is the sheroes and the heroes of faith. These are the people who live the story. And oh, by the way, they lived it when the chips were down. They lived it when they weren't getting all the promises. That's the way they lived. They understood this and they accepted it. And so he goes person by person to say, this is how we learn faith. I believe in the next 10 years you're going to see the word faith translated differently in your Bibles. Probably rightly so. Because we need a new word. We tend to consign the word faith or belief to merely a mental assent. It's just accepting certain facts, which is not the way it's featured in the Bible. It's actually featured a different way, and I think there's a word that comes much closer to it. It's loyalty. It's loyalty. So imagine what happens when you replace faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Without loyalty, it is impossible to please God. Loyalty is the thing that you have that doesn't change with the seasons. It doesn't change whether you get what you want or you don't get what you want. Loyalty is a mainstay because you submit, you surrender to the reign of God, whatever comes, because you're attached to this God. And if there are years of feast, great. If there are years of famine, we'll survive it. I believe loyalty, if you don't remember anything else tonight, I hope you'll remember that. That's our call. The main lesson in Habakkuk is about loyalty which I believe comes from chapter 2, verse 4. Then we get, as we track on uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. God answers Habakkuk yet again, and He answers him in this wonderful song that we've picked up on. And that is, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Keep silence, keep silence, keep silence before Him. What a wonderful expression. What a wonderful placement. Habakkuk thinks God is on vacation. I don't know what you're doing, God, but you're not doing your job. Because if you're doing your job, you wouldn't let all of these things happen on your clock. God affirms to Habakkuk, he is on the job, he is in the office, he is taking care of business, he is in his holy temple. Now let yourself be at peace with that. Uh, It's quite a testimony. God says, I've got this. It's much like the George Lopez you know, of, of the sitcoms. Except we all know George Lopez never got this, right? <laughs> That's kind of the hilarity of it. George Lopez never has this. 
And yet we know God has this. The Lord is in His holy temple. That's the context for the song that we so affectionately love. The context is God declaring to Habakkuk, I am on the job, even though you think that I'm indifferent and apathetic and and misplaced, I am on the job. You just wouldn't approve of my job performance, would you? I want you to notice the second clause here. It's not a command or a demand of God. Do you notice that? Uh, we often think God is so harsh, you know, filled with wrath, and yet God is carrying on a conversation with a prophet about complaints that the prophet has that the prophet does not understand, much like Job did not understand. And he says, let all the earth keep silence before him. Be at peace with that. I'm not commanding it, I think God says, though I could. I'm not demanding it of you, uh, though I could. I'm saying, let your heart be at peace with that. Let your heart rest in the way I run the world. And I have to submit to you, I I struggle with that. Six days of the week, I'm okay with it, but there's always that day of the week that something happens and I say, God, where are you? I, I, I thought this was supposed to work out differently for those who are churchgoers, right? Those who are devoted and who are seeking your will. I, I, I thought we were supposed to be rewarded, right? Yeah. But I haven't frauded you, I think God says. I'm taking care of you. Just in a way you're not familiar with. And so be at peace with that. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. He continues on, rattles on for the next several verses. And he applauds the ways of God. I mean, you ought to whenever God answers, right? I mean, God has seen fit to answer your complaints. And so Habakkuk says, thank you for answering the complaints. uh, Because I was struggling and you 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 have given me some context for it. In fact, some of the things that he says is that the fish of the sea, you remember he just used that metaphor earlier. He says the fish of the sea, they do no wrong. They haven't sinned. And yet the earth is subject to decay and troubles and trials. So maybe I ought to become accustomed with suffering. But he gets down to verse 16 of chapter 3, and he says, but let me be honest with you, God. I'm scared to death. You talk about the Chaldeans coming. You, you talk about whatever it is that is in your windshield right now. It may be a disease. It may be cancer. It may be something else that's happened in your life that blindsided you on Tuesday. You never saw coming. It's okay if you take Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. I'm scared to death. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Let me be clear, God. I'm waiting for justice. I'm waiting for justice. And I hope it will happen in our day. I I don't want this to be protracted over generations. I, I don't want our kids, kids, kids... They have to endure this. Can we see fit to see this shortened? You know, again, Habakkuk is appealing to God, arguing of a sort with God, appealing, probably a better word, appealing to God, much like Moses did for the people. 
And God honors that. And then Habakkuk offers the greatest blessing of all. I'm still amazed by this blessing. By this offer of faith. This loyalty. Habakkuk is offering his allegiance to God. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Wow. Thank you, Habakkuk. This offering, praise, allegiance, and loyalty that says it very clearly, even though... Faith in you produces no fruit in this world. Okay. I'll still follow. You know, even the fig tree image is, looms large in Israel's identity. Fig tree is part of their symbolic existence. They are like the fig tree, which is much like when Jesus cursed the fig tree. It was as if he was cursing the entire nation. And they knew exceptionally well the implications of that. And here you have Habakkuk saying, even if our nation does not prosper, even if I live in a land that loses everything, okay, even if economic hardships come as a result of following you, God, you are my strength. I pledge myself to you. The righteous will live by loyalty. How will God ever know if you're never faced with those challenges? How will God ever know whether you really have loyalty? I mean, it's not just about memorizing facts, as good as that might be. It's, it's, about, it's about being willing to, to consent yourself and to submit yourself to leadership whenever it just doesn't make any sense. It's not productive. But Habakkuk models for us how to do that. Habakkuk reveals to us that we take it straight to God. You know, one of the things that really crystallizes here for me is how often I criticize, how often I complain about things, but I usually don't go to God first. I wonder how different the church would be if you practiced Habakkuk's model here, and that is when you have a complaint about anything in life, you first take it to God. Not to an elder, not to a minister, but you first take it to God, which also means you have to frame it. It means that you have to really reflect on that, dig about that. You have to pray over that. You have to say, how do I want to let God know about this? Because uh, when you read Habakkuk, it's not like it's just a flash in the pan. Habakkuk just thought of this on the spur of the moment. No, uh, that's where complaints go terribly wrong is when you think you're going to just carry this out in the spur of the moment. Now Habakkuk's very calculated. He's thought about this. He's prayed over this undoubtedly. And he frames it so well to say, here is my complaint. I I have been dealing with this for years, and let me just go ahead and put it out there. And I'm going to put it as specifically as I possibly can. And God listens. I wonder how different the church would be 
if we practiced that. I wonder how different the people of the world would see the church if we practiced that. If they were able to experience a a people who rather than just complaining about the world, came alongside the world and said, well, you know, I've got troubles in how the world operates too. Let's roll up our sleeves and try to do something about it together. I just wonder what would happen. I, I wonder how the world would be a different place, how the church would be a different place if we embrace that model and we just live that out. And to say that that's our calling. Now, if you're like me, which I think is I follow Habakkuk here, and I cry out like Habakkuk does in verse 16 of chapter 3, I'm scared to death. Because the truth is, I can't make that happen. If I have to do this by sheer willpower, I'm already sunk. And I don't have it. I don't have enough of it to go around. I try sheer willpower for all kinds of things. For dieting. How about you? (laughs) Sheer willpower and dieting hardly ever works. It works for some. But imagine the scale then. We're not talking about dieting at all. We're talking about living your life with such a resolve, such an allegiance, that if it never pays off in this life, you're okay with it. That scares me to death. Because I'm not there. Oh, I'd love to give the preachy sermon and say, well, the preacher's got this all figured out and is living it to the T. Well, we all know that's not true. In fact, any time a preacher preaches a message, he typically is preaching it to himself first. Isn't that right? That's what we do. We preach it to ourselves first and say, this is what I need to hear. And now let me share it with a church. And hopefully it'll land somewhere that's helpful. I needed Habakkuk. Still need Habakkuk. Because there's only one way I believe this can happen. And it's not by sheer willpower. It's by prayer. You know, prayer is that place where you submit to God where it's way beyond your ability to make it happen. And you can't make it happen. There's healing in life that you can't make happen, so you submit and surrender to God. There's healing of a community that you can't make happen, so you surrender it to God. There's healing in the world that <laughs> it's way above my, my pay grade. <laughs> it's way above my, my abilities. I can't make that happen. But God, I know you can I want to make myself available to that process. But I know full well it might cost me even my life. Jesus said that if you come follow Him, be ready to pick up a cross. I always thought, you know, that was just for Jesus, right? Jesus is the only one that has to bear the cross, no? No, if you follow me, you're going to have to bear a cross too. But it is very attractive. It's very encouraging Because I know the end of the road. The end of the road is, for certain, God will make it clear. So, you'll notice in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 1 how this whole section begins. Habakkuk prays. So all that language of chapter 3 verses 17 through 19, uh, that language of chapter 3 verse 16 when he's concerned to the point thinking he may die, uh, that resolution where he says even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, the only world that that happens in is, is a prayerful world. It's not by sheer willpower. It's that we surrender and submit ourselves to God. And then all of a sudden, 
that becomes possible. I offer a prayer for you tonight. I pray that you'll be at peace in a turbulent world where injustice is commonplace, where rape, where theft, and murder, and bullies, and sheer meanness is commonplace. And sometimes you personally experience bad things. And sometimes, precisely because you follow Jesus. I pray that you'll find peace in that. In your frustration, I pray that in the midst of your confusion with politics and church leaders, that you may learn to complain responsibly, not recklessly, especially taking it to God first. As church leaders, which includes myself, I pray that you may receive complaints well while also training the church to be responsible, not reckless, in this industry of complaining. I pray that you speak boldly against sin, which amounts to disloyalty to God. I pray that you speak boldly to that. Even when God does not provide a rapid response to the injustices you see, you feel, or even personally experience. And my prayer is that you'll trust God in the end. Because God will settle all accounts. And these are the things that I learned from Habakkuk. And I really do appreciate the opportunity to share them with you tonight. Thank you.